How are we doing this morning? Good? This is the 11 a.m. service. We're awake, right? I felt like when the service started, this was like the for sure we slept in this morning. And so we're not going to let that mean we're a little more tired. But was anyone at Coast Guard stuff last night? Anyone? A few people? Okay. I don't know about this whole Coast Guard thing. I'm not really about it, but I'm not against it. So it's just, I'm, I've become a Michigander in a lot of ways. That's not one of them. But I think we chose the right place to be this morning. It's always good to be in God's house to worship and get his word. Amen. Um, so, well, hey, if you have your Bible with you, we're going to be in Jonah 4. So you can open there. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, our ushers are coming forward. If you just raise your hand, they'll get a Bible with you so you can follow along with us. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, you can hold on to that uh, for your own personal copy because reading the Bible is good, right? That's a good thing to do. So if you don't have a Bible, get that. We'll be in Jonah 4 in a second here. Uh, But to kind of set the table of like why this message is just what I needed Uh, This last year, there's been a lot of big things that have happened, and sometimes it feels like when you get older, there's just a lot of, there's just more and more big life events that happen. But this last year in uh, September, we opened, a lot of you guys are aware, the South Campus down in Grand Haven, and we moved our high school students, our high school ministry, to meet down there. So we moved from international aid, where we had been meeting for three years, down to the South Campus. So getting that room ready, that whole building, all that renovation, that was a big thing. And just the cultural shift of moving that ministry 20 minutes south um, was a big thing uh, we are going through as well. So that was big. And then in November, my uh, beautiful wife, Sam, gave birth to our first child, Shepherd Artie Crosby. Bacon, so there he is. He's pretty dang cute, huh? I was mainly just looking for an excuse to show a picture of him because he is, he's just... He's awesome. He's super happy. That's for sure been a life changer. Um, that's actually him at Camp Harvest. He was hanging with our students there, and we had, had a great time as a family. And then kind of uh, changing gears in March, my dad suddenly passed away, and that was a harder thing for Sam and I and our family to walk through. And then making positive again in May, we had the opportunity to move into uh, our second home that we've had the opportunity to own since we've been here in uh, Spring Lake. And so that's been a great exciting thing and I wish I could tell you that throughout these big life events both positive and negative that I just handled it super well and I was just super like even keel and just going along with the flow but if you know me even a little you know that I'm a very emotional person hashtag Enneagram 4 if you know you know and so for many years I've resonated with the story of Jonah and this highly emotional uh, responsive dude And this story in Jonah 4 has been just what I've needed in a lot of seasons, including this present one. And I believe that this morning as a church, that this message in Jonah 4 is just what we need. And um, what we're going to receive from God's word uh, this morning in Jonah 4 is that I can find God's appointment in my disappointment. If you're taking notes, that's our big idea. You can write that down. That in the midst of the disappointing moments of life, we can find God's appointment in that that this is certainly, clearly what Jonah needed um, to receive in this story. Charles Spurgeon is called the Prince of Preachers. We mention him here from time to time. He preached on Jonah 4 and titled his message, Jonah's Object Lessons, because Jonah was acting like a child. So Spurgeon said that uh, it was like God needed to take Jonah back to kindergarten to teach him the lesson. And so basically, uh, the way that God was relating to Jonah in this story was kind of like this. Here are our final actual costs for this year. Okay. As you can see, we did pretty well. Yes, yes, I can see that we did indeed. Why don't you explain this to me like I am an eight-year-old? All right, well, this is the overall budget for this fiscal year along the x-axis yes right there there's the x-axis you can see clearly on this page that we have a surplus of forty three hundred dollars mm-hmm okay but we have to spend that by the end of the day or it will be deducted from next year's budget why don't you explain this to me like I'm five your mommy and daddy give you ten dollars to open up a lemonade stand so you go out and you buy cups and you buy lemons and you buy sugar and now you find out that it only costs you nine dollars. Oh. So you have an extra dollar. Yeah. So you can give that dollar back to mommy and daddy. But guess what? Next summer, 
I'll be six. And you ask them for money, they're going to give you $9. Because that's what they think it costs her to understand. So what you want to do is spend that dollar on something now so that your parents think that it costs $10 to run the lemonade stand. So the dollar's a surplus. This is a surplus. We have to spend that $4,300 by the end of the day or it'll be deducted from next year's budget. <laughs> we should spend this money on a new copier, which we desperately need. Okay, break it down in terms of... I, I'm... Okay, I, I think I'm getting you. Goals for this morning, show a picture of Shepard, get an office clip in there. So we've accomplished all that we need to this morning. We're good to go. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to give you guys the benefit of the doubt that you're a little more intelligent than Michael Scott, a little less foolish, and so that we'll receive this message faster than both uh, Michael Scott would, but also Jonah, that we can find God's appointment in our disappointment. So before we get to Jonah 4, let's pray as we receive God's word. Father, we thank you for this morning, and what an amazing gift uh, it is to come together week in and week out with brothers and sisters in Christ to come together, that we know that your presence is everywhere with us. We know that we have your word and we can um, meet with you at any time throughout the week, but you call us to this uh, messy community called church and you promise that when we gather together that you are there, that you move in powerful ways as we lift high your name in worship and as we humbly seek to receive from your word and be changed. We are listening. Our hearts are open. God, speak and move in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we'll be in Jonah 4, but before we get there, I just want to summarize um, everything that happens before in the book of Jonah. If you've grown up in church, maybe you, you know it all. You've seen that VeggieTales Jonah movie, or maybe you have no familiarity with it. You just know there's something with a big fish. So let's break it down. So the book of Jonah is about a guy named Jonah. That's pretty self-explanatory. And Jonah was a prophet that God called Jonah to bring a message of destruction um, to this great wicked city called Nineveh. But Jonah didn't want to bring this message, and so he ran in the opposite direction. He ran away from God's calling for his life. That's a bad plan, really bad plan. And so as he's running, we know that God is a God who relentlessly pursues us and chases us with his grace, that he does not give up on us when he's calling us to something. So he sends this storm to surround a boat that Jonah's on, headed in the opposite direction of his calling. And when the crew of this boat finds out that Jonah is the cause of the storm, they throw him off uh, like he's just fish bait. And God makes him fish bait and appoints this great fish to swallow him. And so he's stuck in this... Uh, fish for three days, left with nothing but to be in his feelings, and in that spot he has to deal with what's on his heart, and um, God brings him to this place of being willing to follow his calling for his life. So he heads to Nineveh to follow God's calling, to be obedient, and he brings this eight-word uh, message, and this is his message in uh, Jonah 3, 4. You can throw that up there. His message was simply uh, this, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So he, could you guys imagine that this morning if you came to church and there was just an eight-word sermon, it's like we're done? Does anyone want that this morning? A little bit? Like, let's, let's just, last night there was a little kid who was like, oh, me, and I was like, your, your parents made you come to church today. That's okay. We're glad you're here. And so Jonah preaches this eight-word sermon and gets just like every preacher's dream. Just picture this, 120,000 people, the entire city responds to the altar call. They're in the aisles, they're repenting. Like, how awesome would that be? Just, that's, that's the goal. But Jonah, um, we're going to see right after one of the greatest revivals in human history um, where people repent and recognize their sin and God shows his grace and saves them. This is where we pick up in chapter 4. So Jonah 4.1, read with me there. It starts... But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Okay, we've got to stop there. We can already see Jonah is disappointed. He, and the it is the revival. He's disappointed in the response to his message. And we're going to look at his disappointment. And we're going to consider that when we face disappointment in our lives, that there's uh, two ways for us to respond. That in Jonah, we're going to see a fool's guide to disappointment and we're going to uh, see how he just handled it totally poorly and honestly see how we often do that. And then after we see that, we're going to consider how uh, God would call us and give us a guide to deal with disappointment in a way that honors and glorifies him. So let's check out this fool's guide to disappointment. Step one in the fool's guide to disappointment is I'm angry, 
which is an attack on God's goodness. But this is Jonah right here. He's disappointed, and what's his response? Continues in verse 1. It displeased him exceedingly, and he was angry. He was mad. Not only was he disappointed, but he responded to the disappointment with anger. That that uh, word, that it displeased him, what that literally means there is that he's like, this is evil, God. This is, this is a bad thing that you're doing. This is not good. That we so often, when we're disappointed, go to attack God's goodness and question what he's doing. And it continues in verse 2 to tell us why he's angry. Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. If you can't tell, there's a whole lot of just like sarcasm in what he's saying. Like, God, I know who you are. I know what you're like. I know that you're a God of grace and mercy and that you save people. But I think it's a bad thing that you chose to save the people of Nineveh. But this is why I ran away, because I thought you might do this bad thing, and you did this bad thing. And so he was attacking God's goodness, and, and we're the same way, that we believe God is not good when a few things happen, that God is not good when my expectations are unmet. That God's not good when my expectations are unmet. You see, Jonah expected to bring this message and that the city of Nineveh would be judged for their sin. And when the results of this message of destruction was different than what he expected, that ticked him off a whole lot. We often say here around Harvest that frustration is born out of unmet expectations. That Jonah walking in with this message to Nineveh, he had expectations that were unrealistic. Everything that he knew of God wouldn't lead him to believe that God would truly judge the people. His expectations were contrary to the character of God. He knew God's heart. He had been given a second chance by God. So why would his expectations be that God would not extend that same grace to this group of people? That his expectations were just straight up selfish. That in the entire book of Jonah, we see Jonah just expecting God to work and do the things that he wants. Um, Friday night, I had the opportunity to go to a wedding of some dear friends of ours, um, some, some young people who are going to ministry in Denver and was so excited for them. But I know in uh, almost four years of marriage for Sam and I and the marriages of our friends and people in our small group and people in our church and people who've been married a lot longer than us, that when you walk into marriage, with expectations that are unrealistic, that are uh, just straight up selfish, how does that go for, in, for you in marriage? Not great. And um, even this morning, I would, I would heed you if you're listening, that in your marriage, if you're walking in with expectations that are just straight up selfish, unrealistic, you're going to be let down. And that's gonna lead you to frustration. And we're gonna continue to see in the story of Jonah that the issue isn't the disappointment, it's his response to the disappointment that when his expectations are unmet, God's not good and he's mad. That God is not good, second, when my reputation is insecure. Jonah's eight-word sermon, again, was, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. When his message didn't come true, he could have been considered a false prophet. If a prophet is someone who foretells what's going to happen, and Jonah said, judgment's gonna come, and judgment didn't come, then people could have been like, dude, you're a liar. You're not a real prophet, and like the, the result of, of a false prophet, not, not a good thing. It would often end with their death, but um, Jonah here is worried that his reputation is put into question. Don't we hate that? Don't we hate when our reputation is, is challenged, when our insecures are made obvious and clear? That like Jonah, sometimes our response is to get angry at the number one thing that a lot of us care about in the depths of our heart, what people think of us. And when that's challenged, when, we're, when we look poorly to other people, that really upsets us. You see, Jonah was walking into Nineveh with the belief that Nineveh would be destroyed. And when that didn't happen, he was so worried that his reputation would be destroyed. And we're the same way. The best way that I could think to illustrate what Jonah's going through here is um, Camp Harvest. 
And we just got back from summer camp at Camp Harvest last week. This is a picture of our group of students that we brought. We had a great group of students from our church, from Harvest North Muskegon, Harvest Traverse City, Redemption Church in Granville. And we just had just the best week of the summer, right? Can I have you guys attest to that? It was a pretty good week, right? Pretty awesome. Very enthusiastic. Thank you, guys. Um, <laughs> but I think we can all be enthusiastic because 10 students gave their lives to Christ for the first time. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Praise God. That's what it's all about. But not only uh, did students come to, to start a relationship with God and they were saved, but also students who have a relationship with God were forgiven and were transformed. I know this to be true, that there are students who had been hiding um, and avoiding things for months and for years, sin in their lives, that they confessed. And they were able to, to come out of the hiding of the guilt and shame of sin and to step into the freedom that's found in Jesus Christ. That we had some of the most uh, powerful times of worship at camp. It was amazing. God's presence was so clear, and God was so clearly, evidently working in the room. But what if I told you guys that Camp Harvest, the week, was a huge disappointment to me, personally? That I walked into camp, and I had a, a number of students that were going to be saved, and 10 was lower than that. That I walked into camp and uh, was insecure about myself as a leader, and so my, my buddy Brandon from uh, Brave Church in Denver, he came to speak, and he crushed it. He did such a good job that our students loved him way more than they liked me. You weren't supposed to laugh at that, Sancho. That makes me feel really bad. That my role in camp um, sometimes is a little like detached, like 30,000 foot view, making sure everything's running well and going smoothly and executed well. And we had 30 plus leaders who are doing the personal work of discipling our students and leading small group. And there were moments where I felt just detached from what God was doing. And even God was working, but God wasn't working uh, in the way that I wanted, and God wasn't working through me personally. I can tell you guys honestly and thankfully, like none of those things are true. So if you're sitting there kind of cringy, like, oh gosh, this guy, like, is he that insecure? And I'm genuinely, genuinely not, praise God. But how far are we from that? Isn't this what Jonah's expressing? How far are we, if we were honest about our thoughts and our feelings? and our emotions, if we were to express them out loud like Jonah, how far would they be from that? If we were real about our disappointment, that I could tell you that in the flesh, in the flesh, ministry can be disappointing. If it's about um, my performance, if it's about an attendance or a response to something, that in the flesh, ministry can be super disappointing. That for you guys too, that in the flesh, that your job, your, your marriage, how your kids perform, that if those things are going differently than we want, then that can lead us to a great disappointment and can make us really upset. That our reputation is made insecure and it can wreck us. That our expectations are unmet and it just leaves us devastated and angry. And in this place, like Jonah in verse three, um, he says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. A little dramatic, right? A little dramatic. But again, if we were honest, how many of us are not that far off from where Jonah's at if our thoughts and feelings were expressed out loud? So in that spot, the Lord said to him in verse four, do you do well to be angry? And the question just kind of hangs there. I like in the New American Standard Bible, it says, do you have good reason to be angry? And Jonah doesn't answer the question and maybe even now that question hangs over your heart. I wonder if maybe Jonah didn't answer that question um, because he knew that the answer was no. I wonder if Jonah didn't answer the question because he was like a child throwing a tantrum. You know, when a child does something wrong and you sit them down and you're like, all right, what, what are you doing wrong? And they just won't make eye contact, won't talk, and just throwing a tantrum. But this is where Jonah's at. So God recognizes Jonah's childish behavior and so he tries to treat him like a child and get his attention. And so uh, we're going to see that. And in Jonah's response, that he doesn't answer the question, do you do well to be angry? But we're going to see his actions answer that question for him and reveal his heart. And in Jonah's response, we'll see step two of the fool's guide to disappointment, that I'm empty, which is an attack on God's provision. Let's see this unfold in Jonah 4, verse 5. 
Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Because things aren't going Jonah's way, because he believes God's not good, because he believes that God has left him empty-handed, he goes and tries to figure it out on his own. He's like, I'm going I'm to build this booth, this little shack of branches and leaves, and I'm sure it was a really terrible hut. That he still, he's just sitting there waiting, like, maybe God's still going to bring that wrath. Maybe God's still going to do what I want him to do. I like to just picture him and believe like he's made a bowl of popcorn, and he's just right, waiting there to see things unfold the way that he wants. And so God sees this sad, pitiful sight, and he meets Jonah. What does he meet him with? Love and care. And I think that's an awesome truth for us this morning, that if we walk in handling our disappointment poorly, responding with anger, responding uh, sinfully, that God meets us with his love and care, that God cares, God wants to get a hold of your attention. And we're gonna see that God begins by trying to help Jonah get it, by being gracious and nice, and when that doesn't go well, then he has to humble him. So even though Jonah's responding to disappointment foolishly, God shows him love and care, um, we see this in verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant, that Jonah receives an undeserved blessing, that his actions, he's throwing a fit. He's throwing a fit, and God says, I love you and I care for you, and I want to help you where you're at. But Jonah responds by, idolizing the object of blessing. And we do this so often that Jonah, this is, I think it's important to note, this is the only time in the book of Jonah that he's happy, like the only time that he smiles. And it's because of a thing. So God tries to show him love and care. Jonah idolizes the thing and is only happy for that. So God recognizes Jonah's heart, chooses to humble Jonah because he's not getting what God is trying to show him. And let that be a lesson for us this morning, that God is trying to get a hold of our attention, and we don't need to, don't wait for him to humble you. Receive this now, that God wants to show you, break you of your foolish handling of your disappointment, and we're going to have hope this morning, but if God needs to humble us, then he will. And we see what happens in verse 7, dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose... God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. He was faint. He was drained. He was empty. He was filled with, like, more anger than any of us has experienced. And then he had this just rush of, like, happiness for a thing, and that was taken away, and he's just left empty. You know that feeling when you've experienced such a strong range of emotions and you're just left drained? But that's where... Jonah's at, just empty, empty-handed. I, uh, I, I mentioned earlier that we moved in May, and uh, I try my best, and I think I'm growing, but I'm a pretty terrible homeowner. I just am. Um, and one of the reasons that that is is because I'm the opposite of handy. Like, if handy is fixing things and making things, I destroy them and make them worse. It's kind of funny. You can laugh at that. But thanks, thanks for the body of Christ, right? Because there are people in this room who are good at things that we're not good at. So here comes Pastor Eric into the picture. And if you don't know, Eric and his wife Jenny are basically Chip and Joanna Gaines from HGTV. <laughs> like, he can make anything. He can build houses. They remodel houses and make them look awesome. And so over the, the course of, like, the three years that I've been a homeowner, there's been a few times where Eric has reached out some help because he just sees how helpless I am or... Maybe my wife is just so kindly like, hey, Eric, could you help Taylor? He could use some help. She's not wrong. And so we're moving into our new house, and Eric called me up and said, hey, I have an hour. I can help you with one house project, whatever you want. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this choice is so hard. This is like the golden ticket of homeownership. i got to make the right choice. So we had these two ceiling fan lights that we wanted to install in the house. And so I was like, okay, he'll help me install the one so that, that way I can install the second one myself. So he comes and... He's walking me through step by step, like this, this wire connects to this wire, make sure the power's off, that's important. Um, these, are how, these are how the pieces go together. This is the exact drill bit you use to screw the pieces together. And at the end of putting it together, he's like, okay, I have to go. 
are you good to put the second one together yourself? I'm like, um, yeah, for sure. I got this. I can do this. And so for the last two months, from time to time, I'll just stare at this box and be like, that's never going to happen. And there are some moments then rather than being grateful for the help that Eric gave me, that I can be like, dude, you know how unhandy I am. How could you leave me empty-handed? Like, you knew that I could not put this together. And I even talked with him uh, just between services, and he's like, dude, you got to figure it out by yourself. I'm like, seriously? <laughs> even after pleading the whole congregation, you're going to make me do it myself? That's the right response. It's my house. I should grow as a person. But this is Jonah to the Lord, and isn't this so often our heart to God, too? Then rather than being grateful for what he provided, that we just complain about what he didn't provide? Then rather than being grateful for the way in which God provided, we're like, God, you didn't provide enough. Or God, you didn't provide in the way that I wanted you to. That we just question God's provision, that he's left us empty-handed. So let's continue and see where Jonah's at in his emptiness. At the end of verse 8, he was faint, and he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Dang, twice he's asked for his life to be over. And this is our third step in uh, the Fool's Guide to Disappointment is that I'm in despair, which is an attack on God's faithfulness. Jonah's sitting there, and he's still sitting under his pitiful shack, and it doesn't have any shade, and the popcorn's getting stale, and he's like, God just left me here empty-handed. Felt like God had given up on him. God wasn't doing what he wanted. And he's just in this place, and let me just tell you this morning that if you're in a place of just being drained emotionally and feeling like you've got nothing left, that you are just one action, one step, one word away from stepping into despair and just being hopeless and thinking that God's left you alone. And we see here in the following verses, Jonah just dig deeper into a pit of despair. Let's read in verse 9. It says, but God said to Jonah... Do you do well to be angry for the plant? There's that question again. And the first time Jonah doesn't answer, which maybe you would say it's childish, but I've heard it said, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? He doesn't take his own advice here in verse 9. So God asked the question again, and he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Let's break this down and see how Jonah just chooses to dig himself deeper into despair, questioning God's faithfulness. The first dig deeper into despair is to justify your sin. That Jonah justifies his sin, and in the same way us too, we justify our sin when, when we're in this place of God has left us empty-handed. But the first time Jonah is asked the question, he doesn't answer. But the second time, we see his terrible answer, and his answer comes out of this place of pride, where Jonah's sitting there, and he's not sitting there recognizing, I see how my actions and how my foolish behavior and my sin have brought me to this place of just being drained and empty and in despair. No, that's not his response. He points to God and says, God, how could you leave me empty-handed? You've done this. You haven't done enough for me. Yeah, God, I'm right in my anger. I'm right in my emptiness. I'm right in my despair. I've got a good reason to be upset. And sometimes... We're so blinded by the sin and despair in our life that we're viewing life through this, through this um, just distorted life view, through this distorted perspective that some of us, even now in the room, we genuinely believe this just like Jonah, that we believe that we are a victim of God's abandonment, but the truth is, is that we are victims of our own sinful action, and we need to see that today. That where we're at, where we're at in this place, it is not God leaving us alone, it is our own choice. That the second dig he takes deeper into despair is to give up completely. If you want to live and wallow in a pity party and dig yourself deeper into despair, just give up completely. Jonah asked for his life just to end twice. He asked God to just, just end his life right there on the spot. And the reason that is, is because in his heart, 
in his thoughts like life was already over. He had already given up. He had chosen to identify as a failure. He had chosen that his circumstances and that his heart would never change. And some of us in that pit of despair, if you've been there, you know. If you're close to there, you've experienced some of this. That in our despair, the light of the hope in life can grow so dim because of guilt and shame that some of us believe that it's never going to change. We believe that we're never going to change as people, and we believe that the circumstances around us are never going to change. And that's a really dangerous place to be and a nearly impossible one to climb up out of. And the result of living in this pit of despair in this place leads Jonah and leads us to the result of feeling bad for ourselves. That's the third dig deeper into despair. Justify your sin, give up completely, feel bad for yourself. And we see that in the last verses of Jonah that God asked this question. He's like, Jonah, are you just going to sit there feeling all bad for yourself? Are you just going to sit there giving up, believing that things are never going to change? Or are you going to recognize that just like the people of Nineveh needed my grace, needed another chance, you need another chance, you need hope, and I want to give that to you. But rather than having pity for others and even believing that God would give him another chance, he just, just feels bad for himself. Um, it's not hard for me to understand these uh, signs of despair, these digs into despair. I'm pretty fired up about these. And that's not only because I think it's so clear in God's word, in the Bible, in the story of Jonah, but that's because I've seen this so clearly play out in my life. I've been there in pits of despair, that I'm 25, but I can already look back and vividly remember times where I've just been in this place of outright hopelessness, nothing can ever change. In March, when uh, my dad passed away, it was a really heavy, hard, emotional time. And there was definitely, um, I just remember, I was up in my office and I got this call from a Chicago policeman hearing the news. And the next few hours of just like telling other family members and getting down to Chicago that there was just such a rush of emotion and, and feelings and there was anger because I, I know God's heart, I know his grace and love, but it was hard to see the goodness in my dad's sudden death, that there was anger that the way that my dad died, that the timing that he died, that the place that his heart was in when he died was so much different than I would have hoped or expected. But I'm just really thankful that as I was going through that depth of emotions and that really hard loss, um, just so thankful for the church because uh, working here, they gave Sam and I enough time to be in Chicago and enough time to, to deal with all that we needed to, that we had enough time to go down and uh, arrange all the details for stuff and, and deal with my dad's belonging. My dad had like this storage unit full of 100 boxes of books that me and my brother had to pack up. It's crazy that um, we had enough time to, uh, to have a wake where people could come and, and visit the family, that we had enough time to be there for the, for the burial of my dad, that we had enough time just to be with family. I've heard it said that when you get older, that the only time the whole family's together is around weddings and funerals, and we were just able to make the most of people traveling from different places and to be united as a family, that we had enough time, even after all the arrangements and events and stuff, just to be in Chicago and to process a bit and rest and um, just be in that place. And near the end of our time there, for about a week and a half, it was every day we were going back and forth from an area of the city of Chicago and then a different suburb um, and then the south suburbs and just all around. And I was really stressful. And at the time, Shepard was four months old and he was out of his routine. He was sleeping in a different bed most nights. And that was really taxing both on, on Sam and I. And near the end of the trip, on this particular day, we were <clears throat> going from my brothers in Lakeview to my other brothers in Elgin, which is a really fun, fun trip. And so we were, it was right before rush hour and we needed to beat some traffic. So it, it being me in Chicago and doing what I did, I went to get a cup of coffee, of course. Um, priorities. And so at this coffee shop, one of my college friends happened to be working there, and we got caught talking and catching up. And before I knew it, um, we were running late to get out to, to Elgin. And it was really close if we were going to beat uh, rush hour. And so I'm just stressed because I hate being late. That just, that just brings stress to me. And then we're worried about traffic. Like, Western Michigan is awesome. 
We only have traffic for one week a year, and it's one bridge. We got it really good. But in Chicago, every trip that you make, it can be a half an hour trip, or it can be a two hour trip. And so you just gotta time it perfectly. So we're at the stoplight, we're about to get onto the Kennedy, one of the highways in Chicago, and uh, the light turns green, so I start to go, which is super normal, but the car in front of me does not accelerate. And so just in this rush of one moment, there's just like a crash, and then a yell just comes out, like I just yell, just a loud yell. I don't know what happened first, me yelling, or my son Shepard freaking out in the back seat, and in this, there's that wonderful after uh, accident smell. You know that smell of like two cars hitting each other? It smells good. And in this moment, I'm not, cons I'm not considering or thinking about, uh, okay, is my son okay? Are our cars okay? Is the driver in front of me okay? Like, I'm just feeling bad for myself. I'm just like, seriously, God, right now? With everything else going on, with everything we're already going through, with the few weeks that we've had, this happens right now? How could you do this to me? How could you leave me empty-handed like this? Is this how this season's gonna be? I'm just gonna be in like a not so great place emotionally and mentally and bad things are just gonna continue to happen to me? Just feeling bad for myself and the driver of the car in front of us, she comes back and she's just the sweetest person ever. She's like, hey, are you okay? I'm okay. Oh, you have a baby? Is your baby okay? She's just being so kind. That's the opposite of what I wanted in that moment. And, and she's like, well, you know, this is a city of Chicago car. I work for the city, so it shouldn't be that big of a deal. We don't need to call the police. Just give me your information, and the city of Chicago will reach out to you in a, a bit. Like, don't worry about it at all. Like, it should be totally cool. It's fine. And that was kind of the end of it. And I just remember driving away, not being like, what a relief that she was so nice. And what a relief that she said it's not going to be that big of a deal. But just feeling bad for myself, just in this place of despair, of just like, not relieved, not like everything's gonna be okay, just like this is just the season that we're in, just in this pit of despair. Just this inescapable feeling of despair, failure, hopelessness. Um, not even like why God would you do this, but genuinely God, are you in this? Where, where are you in this? And the book of Jonah ends with uh, jo uh, God asking Jonah a question. And the question hangs there that God essentially asks Jonah, Jonah, are you gonna stay where you're at and feel bad for yourself and just dig deeper into this pit of despair? Or are you gonna recognize that I'm a God, I'm a God of another chance, I'm a God of grace, I'm a God that wants to help you out of this. What are you gonna choose? And we don't see if Jonah, what he says, we don't see what he does after this, we don't see how his life ends, if he changes directions. And I believe that the reason that that is, is for that question, to hang over us tonight and to come home to our hearts today? Are we gonna continue handling our disappointment like fools and being just emotional children and being angry and empty and in despair? Or are we gonna recognize that there's hope? Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, this is a pretty downer message. Like this guy preaches once a year and this is the text that he chose? Interesting choice. But this is where we get to the hope because this message is not just meant to like hit you over the face and make you feel bad about how you're dealing with stuff. And maybe it is, and I hope that it is, because it's done that to me. But for us to come now and to see that God gives us a way out, God gives us an ability to see, listen, your biggest problem isn't the situations you're going through. Your biggest problem isn't the disappointment that's happening to you. Your biggest problem is not that God's not doing what you want or that God's left you to yourself. Our biggest problem is our heart. Warren Wearsby, a famous pastor, he said this, the heart of every problem is the problem in the heart. If we would come to see now that the greatest problem that we're facing is not a situation, is not a frustration, but that is the motives and the actions of our heart. And come now with hope. Come on, let's get hope and see a way to handle disappointment that honors and glorifies the Lord. This is God's guide to disappointment. Step one in God's guide to disappointment is to choose joy, see God's goodness everywhere. That instead of choosing to be angry and questioning the goodness of God and what he's doing, that we would choose joy, which is a delight in, in him and what he's doing, and not a delight in circumstances. 
that his message, uh, again, is eight-word sermon in Jonah 3, 4. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You see, Jonah was expecting to bring this message of destruction, and destruction would happen. And when that didn't happen, that left him frustrated. But what he didn't know, but God knew, I think this is awesome, that word overthrown in his eight-word sermon uh, literally means turn over. It's this word hapak. And that word can mean turn over like destruction, like turning over a room and leaving it disheveled. And it can mean destruction. But the word turnover can also mean change and transformation. That in Psalm 30, 11, and 12, we see this use of the word. It says, you have turned, that's the word, for me, my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. That Jonah thought he was bringing a message of destruction, but he was bringing a message of transformation. That Jonah thought he was bringing a message of the end times, but he was bringing a message of hope. And that even for Jonah, when God didn't do what he wanted, he thought God was doing that for his destruction, but God was doing it for his change and transformation. And if we would see that today, we can see God's goodness and what he's doing. Because it's not for our destruction, but our transformation. This is step two in God's guide to disappointment, to choose gratitude and delight in God's provision every time. That Jonah didn't think God was providing for him. But the issue wasn't that God wasn't providing for him. It's that God was providing for Jonah not in the way that he wanted. See, because Jonah wanted comfort. But God's provision isn't about my comfort. God's provision is about my holiness. I love this, that the word appointed in uh, Jonah 4, that we see this word four times in the book of Jonah, of God's provision. The first God appointed a plant to give Jonah temporary relief, that God does give us undeserved blessings, and we can praise him for that. But in the next sentence, we see that God appointed a worm to attack the plant. That God doesn't only just provide good things and positive things, but God provides uh, what is necessary for our growth, and then God provides an east wind for the sun and the heat to beat down on Jonah. But check this out, the, first, the fourth time that this word appointed is used is all the way back in Jonah 1, when God appoints a great fish to swallow Jonah. And it's in that fish for three days where we see the only time that Jonah recognizes God's provision. It's in that, in that fish that he says, salvation is from the Lord, and I thank God for what he's done. Because in that moment, Unlike other moments, Jonah recognized that God's provision isn't about my comfort, it's about my holiness. And I want to ask you this morning, what, what has God appointed in your life that isn't about your comfort, but is definitely about your holiness and your growth? God's provision isn't about my comfort, it's about my holiness. And God's provision isn't about my happiness, it's about my worship. That God appoints this plant to grow up, and what is Jonah's response? He is happy, he is exceedingly glad because of the plant. And we need to hear this this morning, that there is a great difference between being glad for what God has given and being grateful that he is a giver of good things. That James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. That God's provision isn't about my happiness, it shows my worship, and it's meant for me to respond in worship, that when God provides good things for you, what's your response? Is it happiness in an object? Happiness in a car? Happiness in a house? Happiness in a vacation? Happiness in a promotion? Happiness in the life of a child? Happiness in the success of a child? Or is our response to be grateful and to worship the giver of those gifts because we didn't deserve those things? You know, sometimes we could just sit there and say, God, you didn't give me enough or you didn't do what I wanted to do. But all the good things, if we would just recognize we didn't deserve them in the first place. And so his provision is about my holiness and my worship, not my comfort and my happiness. And here's our last step in God's guide to disappointment, that we choose hope. We trust 
that God is relentlessly pursuing me every day. That in that place of despair, Jonah just dug himself deeper, feeling bad for himself and justifying his sin, and he just dug deeper and deeper. And we can do that. You can stay in the place of despair that you're at because it is impossible for us to lift ourselves out of that despair or depression or grief or frustration. But in Psalm 43, 5, we see an amazing picture of how God can lift us out of our despair. It says, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise, again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. But that phrase, the help of my countenance, shows that in the midst of our despair, that God can lift us out of that. That is God's heart for you. I know, you may be sitting there and say, I just can't get out of this despair. I've tried so hard, and I'm just in this season of being down and discouraged and feeling bad for myself. I know that you can't get yourself out, but I can tell you from experience that I've grown in despair because of uh, the voices of God in my life, a wife who speaks grace and truth, a community of believers who speaks grace and truth. And ultimately, God's word, which I go to and speaks grace and truth and drags me out of despair. In May, uh, again, we were getting ready to move. This is before Eric helped me with the ceiling fan. And we were getting ready to move, packing up all these boxes. And just two days before we moved, there's boxes everywhere. I go to check the mail, and there's a letter here. And there's a letter from the city of Chicago. I'm like, oh great, are they saying we miss you? We, we just appreciate how much you take pride in being from our city? No, it was a letter saying, uh, a demand letter, you owe us $1,200 for the damage to our vehicle that you did. And uh, in that moment, was just dragged back down to the pit of despair that I was in before. So I did what every mature adult would do. I didn't deal with it. I just set the letter aside and I said, there's no due date on that. There's, I have a stressful month ahead of me. I'm moving and... There's stuff happening and all those end of the school year events taking place. So finally, just a few weeks ago, I was sitting down making sure is everything in order. Hey, we had a kid. or all the hospital bills paid? Are all the people who, for some reason, want my money? Do they have the right, correct new address? And then I get to the bottom of the stack, this letter from the city of Chicago, and just not wanting to deal with it, just dreading it, and just feeling really bad for myself. And so I called my insurance company to see if they could help me or even, you know, that deductible thing. Hey, could that amount be just a little less maybe? I don't know. And so I called them, and they're like, how much is this, are they demanding? Uh, 1100 whatever on the dot. And they're like, yeah, we sent a check to the city of Chicago on your behalf like a month ago. What's the date on the letter? Uh, it's May 23rd. Oh, yeah, on May 21st, we sent that check to the city of Chicago. You owe them nothing. And it was in that moment that I was just so relieved, filled with such a great sense of hope and joy and gratitude. And I, I can honestly tell you, listen, don't, I was relieved that I didn't have to pay that amount. That was amazing. A relief on my bank account and my uh, everything. But so much more than just the relief of what I didn't have to pay was my ability to see God's grace and goodness through the whole process. And so often we need to hear this. God's grace and goodness was not just to say, you don't owe the money. God's grace and goodness was to say throughout the whole process, I'm trying to teach you and grow you, trying to help you to be more responsible, trying to help you to deal with disappointment better, trying to help you grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. So as you consider how you deal with disappointment, as you consider what even now it is that is disappointing you, I just want to ask you, what makes you happy? What are the things right now that are making you happy? What are the things right now that are making you angry in your life? What are the things that are making you want to give up? And right now in this moment, how are you dealing with disappointment in your life? Uh, about a month ago, I saw this documentary called Won't You Be My Neighbor? It's about Mr. Rogers. Did anyone grow up watching Mr. Rogers? Yeah, okay. Less people this service. I grew up watching Mr. Rogers, too, and my dad was a really big fan of him, so I was excited to see this movie. And uh, what I like about Mr. Rogers, I learned this in the movie, he was kind of a kooky guy, like, he's a little crazy, let's be honest, but also he was amazing, because he saw children's programming, and he's like, uh, all children's programming is just mind-numbing and is just entertaining them. What he wanted to do in children's programming was to actually teach them lessons on how to deal with things in life. 
I mean, it was awesome in the movie to see he did episode about death, he did episodes about divorce, um, he retired, he came out of retirement to do this like PSA for kids about 9-11. I mean, Mr. Rogers walks through kids with some like real life hard stuff, how to deal with it. And he often did it through super cheesy but awesome songs, right? And so my favorite of this, I actually titled the message this, I just want to drive this home, it's called What Do You Do With The Mad That You Feel? And I'm not going to sing it, but I, but I do want to read it. It goes like this, what do you do with the mad that you feel when you feel so mad you could bite? When the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right. What do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you pound some clay or some dough? Do you round up friends for a game of tag or see how fast you go? It's great to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong and be able to do something else instead and think this song. I can stop when I want to. I can stop when I wish. I can stop, stop, stop anytime. And what a good feeling to feel like this and know that the feeling is really mine. Know that there's something deep inside that helps us become what we can. That in response to the story of Jonah, that our response is not to say that disappointment's not gonna come or that life's gonna get better. In fact, if you're a follower of Jesus, God's word promises us that trials are coming, suffering is coming, persecution is coming, disappointment is a real thing that we are going to face. But our response to this is to say, when disappointment comes, how are we gonna respond? Are we gonna allow our feelings and emotions to rule us until we're so deep into a pit of despair that we're buried six feet deep and that's the end? Or will we recognize and say that uh, we can choose to find God working in it? And just like Mr. Rogers said, there's something inside us that gives us the ability to stop. And we know as followers of Jesus, that is the Holy Spirit. That through saving faith in Jesus, God gave us a helper and a guide who gives us the ability to hop out of despair and glorify him in our disappointment. Would you bow your heads as we pray? Father, we thank you for today. I thank you uh, for your goodness to us. That we know that you're good. We know that you're working. We know that you're providing. And I just pray right now, God, help us. Help us to recognize and see your goodness. Help us to delight in the way that you're providing us and teaching us. And help us to have hope in your name, God. Even now, when we respond, as we think about the things in our heart that bring us anger, that bring us disappointment, that bring us despair, and in the midst of it, just as we're gonna sing, when we say that you are pursuing us and teaching us in the process, and that you are a shelter that will never let us down, God, you are so much greater than any shelter we make ourselves. You alone are the thing that can allow us to deal with disappointment in a way that doesn't lead to us in a pit of despair. We pray this all now in Jesus' name, amen.